0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host Arm Leighton. I've been a Marlins writer for several years and I also am a minor league play-by-play voice. Today, going to be talking about Pablo Lopez as the player season review series continues. Lopez was borderline the MVP for this Marlins team and I've made the case for him being the MVP over Rojas even though Rojas deservedly so was the MVP Lopez though held this team together during the entire COVID-19 dilemma He was one of the only players that was really healthy through it all and gave the team continuity, just gutsy start after gutsy start. While the team was seemingly falling apart around him, he held it together. While the rotation was a new face every day, you could count on Lopez every fifth game to give you a quality start. And that was the crazy thing because the Marlins were squeaking out wins here and there, but then you knew when Lopez came, came back around in the rotation, it was like, okay, they're definitely winning this one, which was crazy because everything that was going on with the fish, Lopez was that one reminder of just normalcy and just one semblance of hope. And Lopez was that hope because of how good he was this year. A little bit of a rough patch at the end, but then finished back on a strong note, which I think was huge because he showed that, one, he can make adjustments and bounce back, and two, that the hot start wasn't a fluke. Everybody goes through a couple bad starts and he had to face the same team so many times that it didn't surprise me that teams like the Braves adjusted to him a little bit and eventually were able to you know knock him around because they had seen him so many times in a row and so many innings and unfortunately for the Marlins the one guy that they got to get acclimated to was Jacob DeGrom and nobody gets acclimated to him and they saw him just about as much as any pitcher in baseball anyways we'll talk about Lopez's adjustments his numbers on the year very solid 6 and 4 with a 3.61 ERA 3.09 FIP which is more telling based on the peripherals because the peripherals for Lopez are very good. 57 and a third innings. He struck out 59 and walked 18. So what peripherals am I talking about? Well, just about all of them are really good. He was in the top 25% in exit velo, meaning the velocity of the ball that was hit off of him. So that means people were not hitting the ball as hard off of Pablo Lopez. than. of the other pitchers expected ERA, which is similar to FIP. He was in the top 20% there. Barrel percentage, top 25%, where he was not giving up, again, a lot of hard contact or barrels, hard hit percentage, kind of the same thing. Some of them overlap a little bit. Expected slugging and XWOBA, all in the top 20% there for Lopez, which points towards a much better FIP and points towards more sustainable success. Those are the figures that you look at where if a guy has some good numbers, but you're nervous about regression, those can kind of point towards regression quite often. And for Lopez, it points towards more continuity. And where I really like to look is pitch usage. If you can't tell by now, you know that I love to go into pitch usage and quality of pitch and where they're locating it, what changed. Because when a pitcher has this breakout season or has these massive improvements, I want to see a tangible change with it, which would imply you know, a much better chance of it being sustainable and not just some good luck with batted ball, BABIP, whatever it is. With Sandy Alcantara, that's exactly what I dove into. And if you missed that episode, definitely go and check that one out as well, where I just dive into and go deep down the rabbit hole of all the changes that Alcantara made to his pitch usage and his arsenal and how that helped him have a much better year this year, and how it made him more dynamic on the mound. That's what I like to see. I like to see some changes if you're going from okay or pretty good to great or whatever it may be. If you're improving, I want to see some big change in your pitch usage or in pitch quality or both, and that seems to be the case with both Lopez and Sandy. So with Lopez, it's pretty clear-cut what he decided to focus on. And it was the fact that he wanted to implement a sinker a little bit more. He didn't want to lean on the four-seam fastball as much because it was getting hit pretty hard in 2019. And he also wanted to try to add a cutter. The cutter did not end up being used as much as it was initially advertised. I think that we were expecting to see it be used more, ultimately only thrown 8% of the time. But I think the big trends, the big differences we see, is the fastball usage drops by 10%. He was throwing it 42% of the time, which it's a, it's a fine pitch. He locates it well, but it's a four-seamer in the low to mid-90s that doesn't have a ton of movement. He just locates it well, and that's why he's pretty able to be effective with it. But he just didn't really work off of it well because you have a guy that, is able to locate the fastball well, that sets up the secondaries. Great. But he did not have the secondaries really going. To set them up as well. The changeup wasn't being used enough. He was only throwing it 22% of the time. Then he jumps this year, throwing it 30% of the time, and the pitch quality was much better. The sinker was only thrown 16% of the time. He bumps that up to 22.5% of the time throwing that pitch as well, and then adds the cutter, which he throws 8%, and the curveball, which is kind of just a change your perspective. I'll throw it once every ball game, roughly. And he throws that one about 7% of the time. The massive difference here with Pablo was the quality of his fastball changeup combination because that's what he really was able to work off of. In the past, it was too much fastball, not enough changeup. And it was because the changeup was not quite as good back in 2019. He found a much better feel for it in 2020. It actually was more of a power change in 2020. He doesn't have much separation between the four seamer and the changeup of only about six miles per hour. You like it to be more in the eight to 10 mile per hour range to get guys off balance. But some pitchers who have that power changeup with some good movement are able to do that. And with the fact that he implements this sinker that he hardly ever threw last year, and it's really just a heavy two seamer, which is somewhat similar to what you see a lot of other pitchers throw, but the fact that Pablo is so surgical and able to locate so well, it works out better for him. We talk about how Sixto has some of the issues with the two-seamer or sinker having a similar action to his changeup and how hitters are able to zone in on a specific location and it doesn't work for him as well. That's because he also doesn't locate as well. It's okay if your two-seamer or your sinker and your changeup have similar action but you got to be able to locate it well and be able to change the eye level and all of that good stuff. And that's exactly what Pablo is able to do. Keep that in mind while also considering the fact that the changeup set up the four-seamer much better. What did I talk about with Sixto and some of, some of his struggles is he was not able to establish the four-seamer, did not locate the four-seamer as well. Pablo locates his four-seamer spectacularly. It's not nearly as hard and not quite as much movement on it, but Pablo locates it. So when you're putting a changeup down in the dirt and then you can spot that fastball in the upper part of the zone, whether it be inside, outside, he pitches to both sides of the plate which again is something that you don't see much. That's what sets Shane Bieber apart from a lot of other pitchers is he can locate all of his pitches on both sides of the plate. And that's why I was excited about the cutter. And the cutter still gave Pablo just another look because he still threw it 76 times, which is not a ton, but it's enough a few times a game. And it was enough to just keep it in the minds of the left-handed hitters, especially. When he would locate it in on their hands, it was a really good pitch. The other thing that helped Pablo, with the fastball, was the fact that his spin rate had jumped almost 100 RPMs. The spin rate jumping increases that perceived velocity. So that also helps it play up in the upper part part of the zone because you... See that pitch with the higher spin rate as a hitter, and it almost looks like it's rising. And that's why you see hitters with higher or pitchers, excuse me, with higher spin rates actually get more swings and misses in the upper part of the zone. Driveline has a chart, which I think I've talked about in the past, where it is actually better to have a higher spin rate and not as much velocity than to have a ton of velocity and not as high of a spin rate. It kind of is like this sliding scale where you can see where your swinging strike percentage is based on what your RPMs are and what your velocity is. And essentially, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it's better to throw 94 with a high spin rate. You'll get more swinging strikes than throwing 98 with a lower spin rate or even 100 with a lower spin rate because at the end of the day, hitters can time it up. But it's about that perceived velocity and that perceived movement where you can get guys to chase it in the upper part of the zone. That is something that Pablo did this year. Better than ever and that's why even though he relied on the fastball less he set it up well because he's working down 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 with the change up in the sinker locating those pitches well then changes your eye level with the four seam fastball and that's why you see these major jumps his fastball percentage his strikeout percentage on the fastball jumped by 13 percent and he threw it less that's because he set it up so much better and now hitters had to think about more pitches instead of thinking that he is going to throw this four seam fastball 50% of the time nearly. Now you're looking at so many different pitches that he can throw you. And the fact that he can pitch you up in the zone, down in the zone, in and out all of a sudden, this guy that has, you know, average to above average stuff is maximizing it and becomes hard to hit because he's so surgical out there. And that's what I love about what we saw from Pablo this year. But every aspect of his game improved. There's a lot of other things that improved thanks to his change in pitch usage, which I'll get into in a second. I'm going to talk about that as well as how it helped him with his batted ball data. But first, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar has 18 delicious flavors, 6 brand new, covered in chocolate, easy to chew. And when you go to BiltBar.com and use a promo code Locked On. You'll get 20% off your next order. It's hard to beat a protein bar that tastes good, that's covered in chocolate, that's high in protein, low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs. What else could you want? They have every kind of flavor that you can imagine that tastes like a candy bar, except none of the bad stuff that candy bars have. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on for 20% off and a free cooler while supplies last. BuiltBar.com. Promo code locked on. So some of the batted ball data on Pablo Lopez is very fascinating as well. But I'm going to get into that in a second. One more thing I want to talk about with the pitch usage. The cutter was actually a really good pitch for him when he used it. He didn't use it much, but the expected batting average on his cutter was 118. So he had roughly 18 plate appearances against that cutter and only surrendered four hits. Three of them were singles and they were seeing eye singles implied by the expected batting average why didn't he throw it more I don't know I don't know if he just wasn't comfortable with it yet I don't know if that was just not the plan if he only was throwing it when he was way ahead in games which isn't true actually because I watched some old tape and he threw it early in ball games I don't really know what the case is I don't know why he wasn't but that's a pitch I would love to see him throw more next year and we'll see if that happens because that would just add another dimension to his game and help him be more effective against lefties, not that he has a problem with them, but to be able to saw off tough lefties and to be able to bust them inside or set that up, imagine getting a cutter in on your hands and you're geared up now, and then the next pitch is a changeup fading away from you as a left-handed hitter. That sounds miserable, and that's something Pablo Lopez can do and can set up really well. The other thing is the fastball and changeup both being better this year just helped each other at the same time. So even if it was more of the change-up getting better, as I Ed pointed out, it was a harder change-up, it was a power change, and the expected batting average from 2019 dropped 30 points to 199 this year, I think that's what really helped the fastball. Because the fastball didn't change too much outside of the jump in RPMs and a fraction of a jump in velocity about not even half of a mile per hour. So really it was only the RPMs, which wasn't even crazy. It was it was just under 100, which is enough to make a difference, but not enough to make your strikeout percentage jump by 13%. So what, what that really was, was the changeup being better. When the changeup is better, it makes the fastball better and vice versa. Because now, establishing that fastball, you have the hitter guessing one or the other. If you throw the fastball and he's sitting changeup, he's just going to watch that go right across the plate for strike three. If he's sitting fastball and you throw a changeup and he doesn't pick it up out of your hand, he's swinging on his front foot. And that's what happened this year is the pitch was so much better, the changeup, that it made the fastball better and in turn goes back around and makes the changeup better. That's why that's the best pitch combo you can have in baseball. And the most difficult to hit a guy with a good changeup that looks like his fastball is miserable. But I want to get into the increased usage of this sinker as well and how that helped him. He got a higher ground ball rate than he's ever gotten in his career. And he was already a pitcher that got a pretty solid ground ball rate in the past. He was right around 49% in 2019, but that jumps up to 53% in 2020, so nearly a 4% jump for Pablo Lopez up to, towards the higher marks in the league at 53% of a ground ball rate, which is great. And that just helps him get the double plays, get out of jams, pitch to contact when you're not getting the swings and misses, even though the swings and misses were there for him more than ever this year as well as the strikeout, the K percentage was just under 25% up from 20% in 2019. So overall, he's still getting more swings and misses, but also not as reliant on it. The sinker was a great help in that to get more ground balls. The sinker also helped him keep the ball in the yard. I would say that helped him because of the improved command also helped keep the ball in the yard, but just all around having a sinker added to his Arsenal having the changeup improved and just locating better that helped him keep the ball in the yard. And that's why his home run to fly ball rate dropped all the way from 14.6% to 8.7%, which is a dramatic change. So only three home runs he gave up this year in those 11 starts, which is really solid for him and what you want to see in today's game. It's so hard to keep the ball in the yard today and to cut that home run to fly ball rate almost in half is exactly something that would improve the FIP and improve him all around and and point towards more sustainable success. I would say that the increased usage of the sinker was a big part of that. And the fact that he doesn't miss his spots with it and he doesn't miss up with the sinker where it can come back to burn him like we see at times with Sixto. The expected batting average drops 40 points and all around just improvements across the board. As for Pablo's ceiling, so to speak... I think he's getting pretty close to it, and that's not a bad thing. I think the fact that we're starting to see Pablo maximize what he's capable of is awesome. And the, the more he continues to tinker with his arsenal and find what works best, he's going to continue to get better. And I think the fact that he is able to make these adjustments and find what works and continue to feel it out makes me think that he still does have some room for improvement. But at the end of the day, his stuff is pretty good. It's not great. He doesn't have a single plus pitch. You can make the case that the changeup has made its way towards being close to a plus pitch, if not a plus pitch. Other than that, he doesn't really have one. And that's it. It's really just a change-up. And that's the crazy thing about Lopez. But he's so good with the command. He's able to locate on both sides of the plate. He's such a smart pitcher that he maximizes his stuff. So as he continues to feel it out and maybe add that cutter or use a pitch more or less and continue to adjust based on what's working and what's not, he will maximize his ability. And that's what he does. And that's why you love to have a pitcher like Pablo Lopez. I think that you can count him in to be an anchor in the middle of the rotation for the Marlins for the foreseeable future. To me, he is a solid number three pitcher in this game, and that's exactly what the Marlins are happy with. I think given the circumstances, this guy was a throw-in and a deal that the Marlins, I think they'll say they liked him, but I don't think they were counting on him doing anything like this. And I'll be honest, when I saw him start to struggle at times when he first came up, I'm thinking, okay. You know, maybe he was maxed out a little bit there. He had a really good stretch in the minor leagues, but you get to the majors, it's it's a different animal. But Pablo adjusted. I think if he continued to pitch the style he was pitching before in his first year and a half in the major leagues... He definitely would not have gotten to this point. He would not have continued to improve like this, but he was willing to adjust his style a little bit, willing to hone in on some specific pitches or throw specific pitches less and add that cutter, which I hope that he will throw more, and that ability to adjust when you don't have that God-given just double-plus pitches and just ridiculous ability and all of that crazy stuff, that's what sets people apart, and that's what makes people like Pablo Lopez valuable and able to make it to where they are. He's no slouch like he's six foot four and a very effortless delivery and also still runs it up to the mid nineties. But at the end of the day, so many guys do that. And if you don't have that plus plus off speed offering, you're going to have a tough time having success in the major leagues. Now that he's found that changeup and has made it have a push towards being a plus pitch and has continued To refine what he's got and maximize it, I think that he is a safe bet to be as good as he was over the course of this year for the foreseeable future. I think you can pencil him in for a mid-3 ZRA and just give you competitive start after competitive start every time he goes out there. And that's what I love about Pablo Lopez, not to mention he's just a fan favorite, a likable guy, and not to mention should be a fixture in this rotation For the foreseeable future, along with Sandy Alcantara, Sixto Sanchez, and hopefully Edward Cabrera. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's always fun talking about some of the most exciting players the Marlins have, and especially the fan favorites. Of course, way more season reviews to come coming up in the next episode. I'm going to take you through my ideal Marlins offseason and what I think could be the most likely decisions that they'll make. And emphasis on realistic that is what I'll do, and it will be kind of a mock of the offseason of what I think the Marlins should do. That will be the next episode coming up tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Of course, plenty more season reviews on the way and a lot more offseason coverage, whether it's free agents, trades, and draft stuff on the way as well. Feel free to always reach out on Twitter at ArmLayton8 or at on Marlins and be sure to check out the podcast Locked On MLB Prospects, where I'm talking about all the prospects in baseball. A lot of breakdowns similar to this, but with some of the top prospects in baseball, some Marlins related, some rivals in the NL East, some of the prospects that you might want to know about because they're going to wreak havoc on the Marlins for a while, like Alec Boehm, who I've talked about quite a bit, and Christian Pache and all of those guys. It's interesting, it's fun, and if you have any interest in prospects, definitely do me a favor. I'd appreciate you giving a listen to Locked On MLB prospects as well. I appreciate your support as always. Look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.